0: we on Rob we're good okay good morning everyone my teacher say elementary school teacher it's so nice to see your smiling faces (laughs) and I always used to say I was a kid I couldn't stand when she said that so I, I don't know why I'm saying it's nice to see your smiling faces it we all get back to that okay anyway what I would like to do today is for us if you want to turn to one uh, psalm 139 and we're going to take a look at this psalm i love the psalms i'm sure many of you do too because it's a book that takes us right to the heart and thoughts of a believer and david you see that with david it's like almost being a a fly in his in his prayer closet and just catching the, the interaction between David and God, and sometimes the strong passions of knowing God was with him, and at other times, wondering, Lord, where are you? Almost that feeling. You see the, the human emotion come out in, in David, and I, I love that. I love David. I, he's one of my, probably one of my favorite biblical uh, characters. He really is, because he's so real. He's a man that had such a passion for God. It was just he was Israel's best king. He was a, a, a king that really believed in theonomy of uh, letting the rule of God be in his reign. He was just God's servant that just served. But God was the king of Israel at that time. In in reality, while David was king, he was their greatest king. It was the the golden age of. Of Israel, and it went a little bit on into Solomon. But by the time Solomon had died in 930 B.C., it was pretty much the gold had lost its its luster. It was it was tarnishing at that time. But David is the author of this psalm. In fact, uh, Martin Luther, who was probably the, the the Protestant reformer, who probably is my favorite person, <laughs> I uh, I remember reading that Luther said that the Psalms was his favorite book, and he called it the Little Bible he referred to the Psalms as. He said because the whole Bible isn't contained here, especially the Gospel. Luther saw the Gospel just flowing out of Psalms continually. So we're going to look at this today, and I want to look at it in the sense as the uh, title says, Our Lord, Infinite Get intimate. God is the greatest. He's, he's beyond what we can really fathom. And I think I've said that before, but when you study theology, the first portion of theology, you study God, man, uh, salvation. You study all the different uh, aspects of theology, but the first thing you study is called theology proper. And that's the doctrine of God. Who God is. And the first thing you learn is the doctrine of incomprehensibility, which sounds kind of silly. I always laugh at that because it's we're gonna study about God, but the first thing we want you to know is you really can never grasp everything about God. We can what what someone once said, we can apprehend God, but we can't comprehend God. Which how could a finite being comprehend? The infinite God. You know, uh, one of the greatest verses I think in the Bible is Genesis one one. It just lays out. In fact, if you if you have problems with the Bible, I would suggest you go back and look at Genesis one one. And if you can get Genesis one one in your bloodstream and say, "I believe this. This is the truth," you're not going to have problems. With almost anything else in the Bible. You won't have problems with a virgin birth. You won't have problems with resurrection from the dead. You won't have those problems because if you can understand that there was a beginning, but before that beginning there was a God, the eternal God, and that he created everything we see. And it's it's hard for us to imagine, before Genesis 1-1, If we can't even comprehend that there was, except for God, there was nothing. How do you envision nothing except there was God? But yet it tells us that it was God who spoke this universe into existence. Now picture that God with that type of power from the spoken word, too. Can you imagine saying things and they actually happen? You know, as kids, can you remember trying to concentrate on something? Say, if I think hard enough, I can make that move a little bit like that. Uh, come on, somebody has done that when you were a kid. Maybe you're still doing it. I don't know, but that's a problem. But if when you were younger, I mean, I can imagine. I remember sitting in a room and going, I'm going to so focus upon that spoon that it's gonna, I'm going to make it move or raise or, you know, and it doesn't happen. But when God speaks, it happens the decreed will of God cannot be resisted. When God says it and commands it, that's it. And how do you how do you create out of nothing? How do you take nothing and make something? You're God. We always talk about it. I know artists. We say, "Oh, he created this beautiful thing," or this you know sculptor created this beautiful piece, or this musician create. We actually don't create. We're recreating, right? I mean, if you think about it, we don't create this thing, we take what's here, we have a paintbrush, we have paints, we have a canvas, and we recreate from what has already been created in a sense. But God creates from nothing, he is the greatest, and David, the unschooled shepherd boy, didn't go to Bible college, didn't go to seminary, but he understood theology when it came to God. Theology proper. David had it so right. And you know what I love about this, this uh, psalm? It's theology, deep theology, but it's not reading some dry textbook. Not that every theological textbook is dry. Some of them are grab you and can really hold you. But we're getting theology from experience what David has experienced. It's not it's not just a it's not a list of facts. David is saying, this is something I've experienced with God. So we're getting theology firsthand from David, from his own personal experience. And David didn't know to call it omniscience. He didn't know to call it omnipresence. He didn't know to call it omnipotence. But he covers it. And he covers it beautifully and it's right from his heart that he's sharing this. So let's look at this with the idea that God is infinite, the truth that God is infinite, and yet he's so inf- in intimate in our lives. He knows every cell in our body. We'll see what David has to say, but first let's pray. Father, we ask you to help us, help me, help those who are here to understand your truth, Lord. We ask that, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that we would understand that I would speak clearly your truths, that we could walk away here today and just maybe have one thing, That we could apply to our lives that would make a difference, Lord. So I pray you would you would help us to understand now and to speak clearly, and I ask it in Jesus name. Amen. All right, let's take a look at this. What I'm going to do is break it up into four sections. It actually naturally breaks up into four sections, this psalm. There's 1 through 6, 7 through 12. It just You'll see, each one almost covers a topic individually here. So we're going to get some theology from David this morning, right from his firsthand experience. David begins, and look how personal this is. It's, it's like a prayer to God. He's praying right to God directly. He says, O oh Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise... for me to attain?" I love, as as David begins this, he addresses the Lord. He says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Think of how many people we would like to know, really know, even people we've known for years. But can you ever really know somebody? How many times have people been in relationships. And then they get some pretty shocking news about what was really going on in the other person's life without them ever knowing it. Or business partners that are, have a business and one day the, the one guy walks in and finds out somehow the other guy just took the business over, literally, right from under him. Or he embezzled out. I mean, you know, or I hate, well, I'm going to use it, the political scene today is terrible. Right on Long Island, look how many politicians have been indicted and are getting sent to jail. You know, they say one thing to us, but can you ever really know somebody? Even your most personal friends. I remember once somebody talking about accountability partners, and he said that he had an accountability partner, and he thought that they were really open with one another, he really trusted him. And then he found out things about his life that he never shared that were, it was, he said, he it, it was a different person, I had no idea, you know, of the, can you ever, but you know who knows you? God. And he knows every inch of us, he knows, it's hard for me to, to grasp this, but he knows every cell in our body. I mean, he could point out, probably have names for every cell in our body. It's amazing. It's amazing. He says, you've searched me and you know me. That word sometimes means scoured. You know, where he's really, God looks. When God looks, he sees through. You talk about Superman having x-ray vision eyes. God has those, that vision that just goes right through. He sees everything. David says, you know when I sit down, and when I rise and that's a, a, a literary form it's called a, a, a merism and what it does is it takes the two opposites it takes you know when I'm when I'm sitting and when I'm rising and what it's saying is that it covers everything you you know everything what I'm doing he says by just giving those two extremes he says you perceive my thoughts from afar but when, when David says, you perceive my thoughts from afar. That word afar, we usually think is physical distance. David here, though, is using it in the sense of time. What he's, say, he's not saying, uh, you know, if I was at the, the, the northeast corridor of the universe and God was at the southwest corridor of the universe, you know, he'd know my thoughts. He's saying basically before. They're even knit, before they even come together, my thoughts, you already know them. That's how intimate this God is. Can you imagine creating a universe, running the universe, and then knowing what specks like us are thinking? That's amazing! And thinking before we think it. <laughs> you know, Isaiah says that God knows the beginning before the ending. Or he knows the ending before the beginning. See, I can't even get that right. You know, God has it all worked out, but I'm struggling just to talk. You know, but yeah, God says he, that God knows the ending before the beginning, and what He's trying to say is He knows everything. He doesn't have to wait. He already knows this, and uh, it reminds me when uh, in Hebrews four thirteen, it says everything. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's nothing that's hidden from God's sight. Jeremiah uh, 23, 24, I believe, says, Can anyone hide in secret places so I cannot see him? And then he says, declares the Lord, Do I? not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. God is everywhere. He knows everything. And David realized that. I find that amazing, that David had such an intimate relationship with God that he naturally perceived that. David knew this the Old Testament, and he knew from experience with God He says, you discern my going out and my lying down. There's one of those merisms again. It's, you know, going out, lying down. The two opposites, he's saying again, all my activities, God, you know them. You are familiar with all my ways. He says, all my ways. We're familiar with each other, but God knows all our ways. This I love, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. And it makes me laugh because sometimes... We can pray, and I feel like we, we kind of fill God in on the details as we're praying. You know, it's we'll like, Lord, I want to pray for Sally, who she was on a Long Island Expressway Tuesday, and she was in a car accident, and, she, and I picture like in a scene in heaven, God's going, Peter, did you know Sally was in an accident on Tuesday? She broke her bones. I mean, it's, you know, we're telling God. We don't have to explain to God every detail when we pray. We can just pray. We don't have to fill them in on all the details. But it's funny, because sometimes we have a tendency to do that when we pray. And I know we don't pray specifically, but, you know, some information God does, <laughs> he is privy to. He, he, he knows that already. And then David, with that feeling of this going on, he says, you hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. David says, I have this feeling like I'm... Um, I'm just, you you completely, I'm circled around you, Lord, and your hand is almost cupped over me. You know what? That's a wonderful feeling. I want to always feel that God's hand is laid upon me. I don't ever want to feel that his hand is far off from me, even in discipline, because I always, I think so many times during the day when the Holy Spirit convicts me, and it might sound like a strange prayer, but I say, Lord, please never stop convicting me because the day he gets silent is the day I worry. (laughs) You know, I want God to keep saying, what are you doing right now? Why did you say that? Did you need to talk that way to that person? I want God to say that. I want to be convicted so I can repent and I can receive his grace afterwards. I need grace. Then David, he gets to the point in verse 6. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. It's, it, it, it's hard for me sometimes to imagine how David has this insight, because God has given it to him, that he can, without going to seminary, he knows these things They've God has showed him, and it, it just really... It's, it's revelation, it's, it's beautiful. And it's just David, and then David, when he thinks about it for a minute, and by the way, do you think about these kind of things? Do you ever take the time? I know some of you do. <laughs> I, but I, do you take the time to think about how great God is? You know And you're going to see in a few minutes as we're reading, what that leads to, when, what theology, good biblical correct biblical good theology leads to ultimately. Well David is just all of a sudden he says, God, this is just too wonderful. This is just he's basically saying, this is extraordinary. This surpasses even what I can imagine. But he knows it. So David in these first six verses just gave us a theological lesson in omniscience. You know, we didn't have to we didn't have to get all too much material and dry, we get the idea God is everywhere, every moment. Now look at verse 7 to 12. He goes on. After he thinks about God's knowledge of him, he starts to think about God's presence with him. And he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you were there. is his light to you. So David begins to think, well, God knows everything about me and God seems to be everywhere I am. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And what's the answer? Nowhere. You can't flee from God. Remember Jonah, the little prophet, he tried that, you know, he. How did that work out for Jonah? <laughs> you know, he got swallowed up by a fish that the Lord created for three days until Jonah, which, by the way, chapter 2 of Jonah is such a great chapter where Jonah prays, and Jonah is very aware of God's omniscience. His, his, I'm sorry, his omnipresence. Jonah's in the belly of this fish, and what does he do? He talks to God. He doesn't say, well, I'm in this, uh, now what am I going to do? God can't hear me. You know, fish. God's prayer prayers are maybe insulated against fish lining. I don't know, you know, what people might think. But no, In down in the sea, in the belly of a fish, Jonah prays to God, and he prays a prayer of repentance to God. And that salvation comes from the Lord, ultimately, and and Jonah knows that. And then he turns around, but, you know... Jonah was just trying to run away from God's assignment for him, but you can't do that in any way. You can't run away from God, no matter what you do. And if you try to make your mind separate your mind from God, you still can't get away from the presence of God. He's there. He says, if I go up to the heavens, you were there. If I make my bed in the depths, you were there. If he goes down to Sheol, to hell, if he is in the grave, he goes down. Or if he's up in heaven, God is going to be there. He says, I can't, I can't, no matter where I go, up or down, I can't get away from you. He says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, that's the east, sun rises in the east. He says, if I look to the farthest point east where the sun rises, you're going to be there. He says, if I settle on the far side of the sea, now picture David's in Jerusalem, he's in Israel, and... The sea for them is the Mediterranean Sea there, and that would be west. So he says, if I look east where the rises, and if I look west by the sea, he says, even there your hand will guide me. Does that give you comfort at all to know that? That God, we can't physically see him, but he is here. I wish right now we could have some kind of glasses on that could see like the spiritual world and see, you know, what's really going on right now. You know, I really do. Uh, But we have to wait for that. Uh, Then he says in verse 11, if I say surely the darkness will hide me and light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day For darkness is it light to you. Again, David thinks, I can't get away from God's presence. God knows everything about me, and he's all about me. And he gives us a, a little, a quick, I'm trying to go through these quick. We could spend, you know, sermons just on each one of these lines sometimes. I'm trying to move quickly for us to get just a whole overview of this. We see the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. You know, I was thinking if I don't know how many years ago it was probably uh, I'm going to guess. I'm going to ask our uh, my scientific luminary, Doctor Nip Camaloni, to help. How long ago did they come out with the black hole theory? Get out! No, I'm just right. <laughs> Just for, this will be my last message, he's the chairman of the elders, so that was it, I'm out. Just roughly. Okay, I was going to say at least 40, okay, so maybe up to 50. It really became popular, sorry to put you on the spot, I. it really became popular about... I can remember like about 25 years ago, 30 years ago, I kept hearing about black holes in the newspaper all the time. And I remember one of the newspapers, this scientist tried to draw his concept of a black hole. And I guess black holes, I'm going to butcher it, but... It's this area of like this great, I guess, gravitational pull and it's just, it's sucking everything in basically and it looks like a big black hole in space and even so even light, I guess, it even stops light because it's so dense, the gravity or the, the, the uh, strength of it. But this scientist, he, he made a diagram and he had these two funnels. He drew like two funnels where the little spouts, the little part is like this and then he had him come out like this. And what his theory was, he said, possibly, he said, and I don't believe this, but possibly, he said, whatever goes through that black hole comes out in a different universe or a different dimension. You know, I think this guy maybe was <laughs> in a different dimension, I'm not sure. But anyway, and, but think about that. It's impossible, but if man could build a spaceship, and actually that would withstand uh, the forces of this black hole and go all the way through it and say it ended in a different universe, one thing we could be certain of, God's presence would be there, even in a different universe, if there was. You can't get away from God's presence. You know? And it's, it's quite mind-blowing to use you know't mind Ralph, me using your expression. It's mind-blowing of a God who is so big. My barber is a great guy. Joe is about 75. He came from Sicily when he was a kid. And he's not a highly educated man, but you know what? He has a faith in God. And one thing he always taught, what he Joe understands is how great God is. And that means more than, you know, you can have a lot up here, but he's got that in here. And he always says to me, of course, we, we, he talks a lot. When he's cutting my hand, he'll say, well, he'll say, this God, he's big. He always says, he's very big. He says, he created the universe out of nothing. He made all the stars, the planets. He made people. And then he sent the sun. And he goes through and stuff. And I say, You know what? Joe gets it. When he says God is big, what he's referring to is what we're talking about right now. That he's everywhere, that he's all-powerful, that he's all-knowing. And in his own way, he's given me good theology, I think. Simplified, but just saying this God is so big. And he doesn't mean physically. He means who he is. His His being is so great. All right now look as David thinks about this God knows everything about me I can't get away from God he's everywhere then he says in verse 13 for you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb oh I love that what what the idea you knit me together you know I wonder if he was thinking of veins and nerves and whatever. I don't know how much David knew about anatomy, but the idea that he was knit together in his mother's womb. David knows that God's hand was on him right in his mother's womb, that the womb is sacred because life is in it, and it's sacred from the day of conception. And we have a problem in our society right now, and I I'm, I i am don't want to get too far off, but... We have a terrible problem, and we've gotten to the point now where Law's It was a Virginia lawyer, if you remember, about a month ago. He started talking about that if the abortion is botched and late term and the baby's born, now they're considering the options once the baby is out of the womb. We've gotten... This is where... This is why sin, once it's let go, it continues. It's, well, just the first trimester... Oh, You know, no, we can do the second trimester. That's, that's, it's not life. No, the third trimester. That's okay. As long as the baby's not born yet, we can do Now we're talking about outside the womb. I'm not talking like a a radical here too, trust me. But this is where our country's going, and I, I fear the day Lord, the Lord says, okay, now it's time to judge America, because we're gonna have to answer. For, it's probably about 60 million abortions now. It's just, it's, it's horrible. We need to be praying about that. And i tell you, as a church, we need to, I'm trying to think, too, of how we're going to deal with this because it's something we, 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 how can we keep closing our eyes to watch and there's a holocaust going on in, in, in these, you know, women's wombs right now, what's taking place. It's, it's terrible. It is. David knew the life where it came from. Jeremiah says that, you know, you saw me in my, my own full body in my, in my mother's womb. Jeremiah knew it in one five that God's hand, that God put life right there at that point. But look what this leads to. This is what I want you to see in verse 14. David's been talking about all these, this, these attributes of God and his amazing character and who he is and what he does And then he says, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Look what he does. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. What is that? Worship. David has an attitude of worship. He says, I praise you. What is praise? It's worship. Good theology. Good, correct Biblical theology leads us to worship. That's why you don't want to be, have an allergy to, uh, to uh, theology. Because theology is knowing about God. And the more you know about God, the more you want to worship him. It's, it's a knowledge of God. What it, worship is our response to a revelation of God. David has a revelation of God. He's thinking about God and he goes, oh God, he says, I praise you. He thinks about the greatness of God, this infinite God. And it leads him to worship. Knowledge of God should always lead to worship. That's why the more you know about God, the more passionate your worship should be, the more you should be worshiping throughout the day. Remember, you can worship God when you, you look up in the sky and you see some clouds. You see a bird fly, you can worship God say, what genius is this? This little creature is, you know, flying all around. You try to do that sometime, you know. But I, I'm telling you, I, it really it amazes me. Just look at nature. That's why what Paul says, man is without excuse. I've I, I got to read this for a minute. I'm sorry. I... <laughs> I have, because this just reminds me right here what David, the, what, what he's seeing about God. And look what, they, uh, what Paul says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth. You know, people always worry, they say, what if somebody doesn't hear about Jesus? God will judge them on this knowledge. God will judge them for rejecting Him as creator, ultimately. You know, if someone's never heard about Christ, God's not going to judge them for that. But He will judge them on what they know. And this says that man has suppressed the truth. We try to pretend that God doesn't exist. It's a lie. And God says man is without excuse. So there is no excuse for not acknowledging God. And David sees, here's a man, again, who has no formal religious education in his, I should say, education in in theology, but he knows God and he knows how to worship God. I always think of David got so excited when the ark came back. And they're bringing the ark in the city, and Dave, David throws off his robes, and he's dancing around before the Lord. And his wife at the time, who was Saul's daughter, you know, she says, that. Was basically, you're disgusting. Look at you, you're so embarrassed. And David says, you know what, I'm going to be more disgusting. I, if I'm praising God, I don't care if that's what you think. And David says, I'll even get more foolish, he says. You know, the man knew God, loved God, and there's worship here in his heart because of who God is. David can't help it. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Can you imagine, David, just picture, you know, have you ever just looked, (laughs) I'm nuts, I don't know, but one day I was just looking at my hand and thinking, how did you do that, God? How do you make it so we're so, even with arthritis, we're so flexible? You know how we can do, and we can do so many things. You know, I can go like this and go like this and make faces and shake and how does our brain, you know, the brain can process over a hundred million messages per second. How do you, how can you grasp that? Our brain, a hundred million messages per second. Think of what The mind of God. How many messages is he processing? He's processing all of us. He's keeping everything in the universe going, including every little cell. Boy, if that doesn't make you want to worship, I'll tell you, (laughs) because that is one great God. He's amazing. He goes on, he says my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. He's talking about his mother's womb, the secret place. It was the the Hebrews looked at 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 a mother's womb as a mysterious place. After all, I mean, a husband and wife are intimate with one another, and after a while this child grows. How does that happen? It's it's God who does that. And he says he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Again, the depths of the earth, he's, that's, that's referring to a, a mother's womb, how you think of the depths of the earth, you picture it being dark and damp and not knowing what you're going to find. And in a sense, uh, the womb of a, of a mother is, is dark, it's damp, but in that is that life, that secret that no one knows except God how that happens. Ultimately, scientists can have an idea, but they still can't create life. Only God can. Only God creates life. He says, your eyes saw my unformed body. Interesting. You know, God already knew him before he was a, a, a full person like that. He says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book, before one of them came to be. here is he's talking about the sovereignty of God. God is so sovereign when he says, all the days ordained for me written in your book. I don't think God has a book, but it's in God's mind. And again, God doesn't have a brain like we do, you know. Thank God for that. <laughs> Otherwise, can you picture the universe going crazy? But, but it However God's processes and does, you know, he's God. We don't can't understand that. We'll have eternity to figure that out, you know, and we won't. That's why it'll be eternity. We'll continue to try to figure it out. But he says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book. He says, God already lays out. He's sovereign, you know. And, you know, we can get into the battle of free will and sovereignty of God, and I'm not, I promise I won't do that today. But you know what I like? David didn't have a problem with that. David didn't go, oh, now, is man free will or is, uh, is God totally sovereign and we don't... God knew, David knew God, he trusted Him and accepted Him and God worked it out. You know, and it's good for us to think about, it. I'm not saying I don't, I think about these things too, you know, but David knew that God was sovereign here. You know, and he didn't do anything unless God ordained it, ultimately. God's in control, ultimately. He says, look at this now, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Think about what's precious to you. What, do you. what would you call precious? David says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. What a passion for God. What a love for God that this man has. He says, oh, they're precious," he says. "Lord," he says, "how vast the sum of them! Like I said, we process a hundred million messages per second. Think of what God has to think about." He says, "How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand." In other words, they're, they're basically infinite to David. They can't. David can't even begin to picture taking a handful of sand and how many grains are in it, and let him just run out, and then look at the whole beach. Go down the whole beach and look at those and say, that can't even contain God's thoughts. They, there's not enough sand to hold those thoughts. That's amazing. That's amazing. And some now, when we get to the next verse here, where David says, when I awake, I am still with you. Some feel that David maybe was thinking in his mind, counting those grains of sand, and he fell asleep. You know, he got exhausted finally. He said, "I'm, go- I'm you just exhaust me. I'm going to just pass out. I'm so tired. And he says, but when I wake up, he says, I am still with you. I love that David says, I, th- I think it's either Psalm 3 or 4. He says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. When you wake up in the morning, do you ever think about that? You lie down, You open your eyes. Is God the first thing that comes in your mind? Try that if you haven't. I know some. You know some of you might not be morning people. (laughs) You know, it's like even whoa, need the coffee. You know, and it's before the brain even starts. But try this when you wake up. Try to put God right on your mind and realize, Lord, you just gave me a safe night. I opened my eyes. You've given me another day. You're so graceful. And you're with me. Think about that. When you open your eyes, God is with you. you know? And David realized that. He says, I wake. And God, he says, I'm still with you. You didn't like leave me. You know, when I was sleeping, God tiptoed out of his room and didn't come back. You know, he's there with him. He's there. He says, if only. Now, this, this next part, I'm going to tell you the truth. When I was a newer Christian and I read this, this really bothered me. I mean, I was reading all these beautiful words of David, and then all of a sudden it was like, ooh, this sounds ugly. Oh, how, why did, I mean, you just think, why did David say this after he said such good stuff? <laughs> but look, notice what he says now in verse 19. He says, if only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now, as a newer Christian, (laughs) when I read that, and I'm hearing about, you know, Jesus is going, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. I'm going... David, you know, really, have you read the New Testament? Of course he didn't. I mean, you know, it was another, another thousand years or so. But, you know, it. Uh, but we have to understand the context and the society and the time and what David and the language here, what's being used. First of all, think David is passionate for God. I mean, he is a man with extreme passion for God. And when I say extreme, I mean that good. You know, you be extreme with passion for God. That's okay. But he, when he says here, I want, to, I want to show you where, verse 21, he says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? Uh, if you were to go to Malachi chapter 1-3, and you don't have to right now, You'll see in there that in Malachi where it says, God says, you know, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. First of all, that language that's being used in those times is that idea of loving. When it's used in this way, it was used in the Hebrew, it means to accept and to hate means to reject. So that's the first, I mean, there's there's a few different uh, sides here, but the first thing is when that word is being used, those I hate, he's saying, I reject those. And what is he rejecting? He's rejecting those who are against God. He's saying, these are men, look at how he describes them, he says, the wicked, away from me, bloodthirsty men. David's talking about people who are murderous, who are vicious, who are God-haters, and he's saying they speak of you with evil intent, your adversaries misuse your name. Now, when he gets to, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? That culture, you have to understand something, too, in that culture, they had kings and vassals. Much like you even picture the, the uh, medieval period, you know, with kings and vassals. Those The king would have those who w- took an oath with the king, and the king would protect them, and in turn they would support the king in other ways. Uh, David here, now, is in, he was born in about 1040 B.C. Now, they discovered, uh, I guess archaeologists discovered, an oath that was discovered in the 14th century. BC. That would be the 1300s BC. And the oath was between a king, his name was the II, and he was a Hittite. If you remember that name Hittites, remember when Joshua was going into the promised land, into Canaan, the tribes, the Ammonites, Amorites, Amalekites, Hivites, Hittites, these were those people. He was a king of those people in that time, and the oath was taken with a fellow. If I can remember his name, I think it was—believe it or not—Teti was his name. Imagine being a guy named Teti. That'd be hard. I really—I don't know how you're, you grew up in school, but those are the kind of names you get, like whacked in the back of the head and things like that. You know, I think about uh, <laughs> in sixth grade. Somebody caught on that my last name is Rhoda. And guess what he attached to that? Rhoda, Rhoda. So like between 6th grade, 7th grade, and 8th grade, those were the worst. I'd be walking down the hall, and there were a group of guys. And as I was, I could be way down there, and you'd hear, uh, what does he say? And away go trouble down the drain. Roderuda, Walter Roda. You know what I? was like, oh, can I change my name? You know its names, but this guy's name was Teti, Teti of Nuhasi. Okay, I'm not making this up. You can look it up if you want. So Marcellus and Teti take this oath. But it's interesting. The oath, what is said, is, your friend. Shall be my friend, and your enemy shall be my enemy. Do you get that feeling here? What David's saying, Don't I hate those who hate you, O Lord? He's saying, Lord, those who are your enemies, they're my enemies too. This is a man of passion here, and he's for God. And it doesn't necessarily focus on that. I mean, if it's focus, hatred for a person itself, he hates what they represent like that hatred toward God, these bloodthirsty people, he says. He says, I have nothing but hatred for them. I reject them, is what he's saying. I count them my enemies. Think of Mercilus and Teti. Your enemy, my enemy, your friend, my friend. I count them my enemies. The enemies of you, God, are my enemies, he says. And then he says in verse 23, now this is 23 and 24, Some of the most beautiful verses of all. Look at David's heart here. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and see if there is any thing. He says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. I'm sorry. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He wants God to search him. He says, Lord, he knows, and he says in the beginning, he says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. But he says, Lord, look at my motives. Look at my heart. And that's the important part, is the motive. That's what God looks at. Remember, uh, Samuel said to, uh, I should say, God said to Samuel, I think it's probably Samuel 16 verse 7 maybe, where he says, he says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God wants to know what our motives are. And think about, Jesus talked about, at, toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, there's going to be people that are going to come, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, he says, didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I do this? Didn't I do this in your name? And what is Jesus going to say to them? I never knew you. It's not enough to look outwardly good. And David realized that. He says, Lord, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Proverbs 4.23. Everyone should have this memorized. This is a really... It says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Proverbs 4.23. David knows that. It's the heart. God has been searching his heart and God. David says, search my heart, O God. And know, he says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Test me, Lord. Check me completely. And we need that. We, we don't know our own hearts, do we? Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Some versions say the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can know it? We don't know it. But then verse 10 of that same, that right after that verse, verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to see, to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Right after that verse, that's Jeremiah 17.10. The Lord looks at the real issue of our heart here. You can't get any more intimate than that. A God who can see our hearts, who's running the universe, but looking at our hearts. He says, see if there is any offensive way in me. Lord, if there's any sin in there, show me it so I can repent, so I can make it right, Lord, so my fellowship with you will be right. And then he says, and lead me in the way everlasting. It's interesting, that term. You know, people always will, will say sometimes, uh, the Old Testament really never talks about the afterlife and resurrection. I thought of maybe one day even doing, if I ever get a chance to do a message, I want to do a message on the afterlife in the Old Testament and the idea of eternal life in the Old Testament. Think about this, he says, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in that way that's to eternal life, Lord. It can, you know, some will say, well, he's referring more to just a long life, like his life is going to be long, because he's right with you, God. But you, you see it in, how about uh, we looked at the, uh, the 23rd Psalm. Uh, Michael Schwam looked at it a while ago. Remember the last verse of it? And surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. You know, there's always that theme there of there is another life. Uh, So we look at Psalm 39 and we see the God who created everything, who is infinite. He's eternal, He's created everything and yet as big as my barber says, as big as God is, He knows every little detail about you and me. That's amazing. And David, I like when he he breaks into worship and he says, I praise you, Lord for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He realizes all of a sudden, this is amazing, you know, how God has created me. And in spite, and all the character, uh, attributes of God. I would encourage you to read this psalm. Look at how David understands God and his relationship to God and as great and as immense as God is. He's the most personal being in our whole existence. He really is. No one knows you better than God. You know, and you can confess everything to God. It's amazing. It really is. I, uh, I encourage you to think about God. And when you do, I guarantee if you think deeply about God, you're gonna worship God more deeply. You can't help but worship him when you see who he is and then think about what he's done for us. Especially his giving us his one and only son. I mean, what God? (laughs) There's only one God. But if there were others, who would do what he did? He would give up everything to come here and take our sin so that we could have eternal life with him. It's truly amazing. I encourage you today if you do not know Jesus Christ to go home, get on your knees, and cry out to mercy for God to save you. Ask God to save you. Lord, I want to I put my faith and trust in you, Lord. I'm a sinner. I put my hands in you God save me Lord and God anyone who comes to him in true faith and repentance the word tells us he's not going to turn them away he won't if it's sincere if you truly believe and you're truly sorry Jesus says you're mine you know and then your life starts changing for the good for the good all right let's let's pray Father, that we can even speak to you now is is beyond our our comprehension. We can just about understand it, that uh, you have ears and eyes and understanding to hear us and to know us through and through, Lord, and to show us love, Lord, most of all. In spite of who we are, that you are quick to forgive, quick to uh, give us grace when we come to you in true repentance and faith. Lord, thank you that as great as you are, you have made yourself available to creatures like us, Lord, that you love us and you want to be intimately involved in every area of our life. May we hunger and thirst to know you better, Lord. And in that process, as we learned to know you and love you, may our worship of you increase because we would be in awe and wonder like David was, Lord. Give us a heart and a passion like David, I pray, Lord, to continually want to seek you. We love you, Lord. We pray we would love you more deeply and perfectly and one another. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.